That last part always gets me. It's like over, over, no, no, no. Okay, now it's over. Um, hey, how you guys doing this morning? All right, good. Um, hey, 2,000 years ago, about a month before Jesus died, uh, before he was about to get killed, Jesus starts making his way voluntarily towards Jerusalem where he knows exactly what is going to be happening to him. And uh, he doesn't beeline it there. He's not in a huge hurry to get there, which is understandable. Uh, but uh, he starts making his way towards Jerusalem, and he takes his time while he's doing it. And it takes him a few weeks. And he stops in town after town after town and village after village after village. And we have recorded for us some of the things that Jesus taught on during that time and some of the things that Jesus said, which if you look back, is some of the last things that he, that, that he said. And so... Um, Coming up, you know, Easter's coming up. Leading up to Easter this year, we are going to start, we're walking through um, kind of that journey to the cross or that, that long walk that he had to Jerusalem. And uh, we're going to be looking at the things that Jesus did during that time. We're going to look at a lot of things that he said during that time and just kind of look at how that can be applied to our lives as he's literally on the road to the cross. Now, last week, uh, we talked about how Jesus, he entered this region called Perea. Uh, Perea is like northwest of Jerusalem as he's making his way towards Jerusalem. And um, as Jesus is talking there, people are coming out kind of everywhere to see Jesus, which happens so often in his ministry. I mean, when Jesus was out in public, and when he was doing his thing, and when he was teaching, I mean, people came from all over just to get a glimpse of Jesus, because Jesus was doing things that they had never seen before, and Jesus was saying things that had never been said before. And so everybody wants to get a glimpse of Jesus. They want to hear what he has to say. They want to see what he's going to do next. And, uh, and this day was no different. We looked at last week how Jesus, when he's in this region, um, he, uh, this young guy, he's like teaching them, and this young guy, um, this young rich guy comes running up to him. He's a businessman, and he basically asked Jesus uh, the ultimate question, all right? He has got a very good question. He says, hey, Jesus, hey, great that I found you. Awesome. Nice to see you. This is your young leader in that community. He's saying, hey, what do I have to do to get to heaven? That's a good question, right? I mean, can we all agree? Good question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like the ultimate question. And so this guy at least has his head on the right, you know, on his shoulders, right? And he's like, hey, what do I have to do to get to heaven? And remember how Jesus answers? He says, oh, all you have to do is you just got to be good. Okay, and he starts listing off the Ten Commandments, and you know, one by one, he's like, you know, you've heard it said, like, don't lie, don't steal, don't murder, don't do this, don't do that. And as Jesus is kind of rattling these off, the guy it kind of interrupts him and says, hey, awesome, Jesus, I'm so glad you said that because um, I've done all those, I've actually followed all those rules since I was just a little kid, and so I'm pretty good. And Jesus has to correct him, and he does this in kind of a roundabout way, and he says, no, actually, you know. Uh, only I am good. Like, you're not good. Only I am good. And Jesus challenges this man's view of goodness. And what he's doing, he's kind of deconstructing the world as this guy knew it. And he's deconstructing the world as the crowd knows it and as we know it here today. And he's reconstructing the world as he originally created it. He's trying to get us to understand exactly how this all works. And after this conversation that Jesus has with this, this kid, um, remember how the kid goes away? Sad. He's all bummed out because after he talks, he thinks he's real good. He thinks he's got everything kind of squared away, but he's still asking the question. But when he walks away, um, he's just not willing to put God at number one in his life. He's kind of like how a lot of us are here, you know, in, in our society today. Like we're okay with a little bit of God. We're okay with a little bit of morality in our life, but we're just not really interested in fully committing. That's where this guy was. 
And so after Jesus has this kind of um, awkward conversation with this rich young leader um, of this, in this area called Perea, Jesus continues traveling south to Jerusalem, and he eventually comes to the next town, and the next town uh, is this city called Jericho. Um, Jericho is about 18 miles away from Jerusalem, and so he's, you know, he's only 18 miles away from his destination. And when he gets to Jericho, as Jesus is getting into town, something kind of um, uh, hap- something happens. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to look at what happens, okay, because it's significant. And then um, we're going to talk about what Jesus teaches on a little bit later while he's in Jericho. Sound like a plan? Yeah. We're going to cover it all, all right, real quick. I just don't want to mis- leave anything out. So uh, Luke chapter 18, verse 35, it says, as Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the road begging. Now this was a normal thing back in this day, back in these days, um, where if you had some sort of disability and there was no way you could work, um, then uh, you were required, you know, what you had to do is you had to rely on your family, but more than that, your job kind of throughout the day was to go sit out on the streets of the nearest town or nearest city and to beg, okay? So you'd sit there, you'd have your little cup or jar or whatever, and you would basically rely on the generosity of others. And so uh, basically wherever Jesus went, whatever town Jesus went into, I'm sure they all of these towns had beggars just like this. And so this guy's issue is he's blind, he can't see, um, that's not good, and so he is a beggar sitting by the road. It says, hearing a crowd passing by, the beggar inquired uh, what was happening. And so Jesus of Nazareth is passing by, they told him. And so he called out, he says, hey, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Okay, so can you kind of picture this in your minds? Can you? Okay, all right. So Jesus is walking into this city called Jericho. He's about 18 miles away from Jerusalem. And uh, this, there's this guy who's a beggar sitting there. And as Jesus is walking into Jerusalem, or sorry, into Jericho, um, this guy kind of hears all the commotion, all right? There's a big crowd going on. Uh, he hears them. There's shouts. There's, there's people walking by. And so it's kind of like when you're on, you know, at, in elementary school, you're on the playground and you, you know, you see a bunch of people and you know there's a fight, you know, because you're like, oh, that never happens. Like a little crowd I went to Fremont, so maybe you guys in Tiffin aren't used to that kind of stuff. But that's what we knew. Um, and so it's kind of like that. Like he knows something's up. He knows that something's going on, even though he can't see. And so he starts asking around and saying, hey, what's going on here? What's the deal? And the people around him are like, oh, that's Jesus of Nazareth, okay? And they say Jesus of Nazareth because Nazareth is a town where Jesus was, uh, where he grew up in. And so he was literally Jesus of Nazareth. And so uh, this guy, when he hears this, he starts to shout. He starts shouting out to Jesus and calling out to Jesus. And he says, hey, Jesus, um, son of David, he says. It's so interesting to me, uh, maybe not to you, but to me that he says this. Uh, Jesus is walking by. These people have told this blind guy what's going on. They've told him, hey, this is Jesus of Nazareth. But this guy does not shout out, hey, Jesus of Nazareth, even though this is what he's just been told. This guy says, hey, Jesus, son of David. What he's doing here is he's actually referring to the Old Testament. Now, you got to kind of understand the context of what's been going on within um, the last few hundred years at this time. Uh, In the Old Testament, what we see is that the Jewish people um, are promised 
through prophets and all kinds of stuff, but promised by God that someday God is going to send them a Savior who they called the Messiah, who is going to come and he's going to make everything right. Okay, that includes sin, that includes bringing back the nation of Israel, leading and being actually crowned king in Israel, and just all this stuff. And so at this point in history, 2,000 years ago, the Jewish people have been waiting for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years for this so-called Messiah, for this Savior who has not showed up yet. And so this is somebody who's going to be sent by God, someone who's going to make them a nation again. Remember at this point in time, Rome owned Israel and they were in control. And in the Old Testament, many times this Messiah and Savior figure was referred to as the son of King David or the son of David, meaning that he was going to come from the royal um, Davidic you know, line, um, and uh, which, by the way, Jesus was. And so when this guy says, hey, Jesus, son of David, what he's actually saying and what all the people around totally understand what he's saying is he's saying, hey, Jesus, you're the Messiah, you're the Savior, you're the one that we've been waiting for for hundreds and hundreds of years, hey, come save me. And so this is what this guy begins shouting over and over and over again. And the people around him, it says, they told him to keep quiet. And they're like, dude, shut up, you're ruining the move, you know, the, the moment here, What's, you know, be quiet. And, but he keeps crying out all all the more. He says, Son of David, have mercy on me. Hey, Jesus, you're the Messiah. Hey, Jesus, you're our Savior. Hey, Jesus, we've been waiting for you. Hey, Jesus, Son of David, please help me out. It says, and so Jesus stopped. So they're moving forward. He stops and he commands. He says, hey, bring that guy to me. All right, wherever he is, bring him to me. And so when he came closer, Jesus asks him, he says, hey, what do you want me to do for you? Like, what do you, what do you need? And this guy says, Lord, he said, I want to see which makes sense. I think we'd all be on that same page. And so Jesus looks at him and he's, I think he smiles a little bit. And he says, you know what? Receive your sight, Jesus told him. Your faith has saved you. He says instantly. Okay, this isn't a couple weeks later, you know, he puts some, some stuff on his face. Or a year later. No, no, no. Instantly, this dude could see. All right, he opens up his eyes. He's like, Whoa. You know, okay. And he began to follow Jesus, glorifying God and all the people who were there. Because they all see this all happen. I mean, they're all surrounded Jesus. They're like, what? Who is this guy? Like, this is why I came to see Jesus. I saw a miracle. Woo. You know, they're thinking that. It says, when they saw it, they gave praise to God. They're all pumped up because they've actually been able to witness this. And so this just happens right as Jesus enters town. And it's so interesting to me because this is in stark contrast to the guy who was at the last area that he was at, you know, the, or the, the last town that he was in, okay, the rich young guy. Like, think about that. These two guys are just completely opposites. The rich young businessman has everything, right? I mean, he's got everything you could want. He's got the clout. He's got, you know, he's a, he's a leader in town, and, you know, he's got money and just this and that. And, and he interacts with Jesus but he walks away with nothing. In fact, he walks away sad. You can see it on his face. And then this guy, in contrast, is a poor, blind beggar who has got nothing. All right, he can't even see. He can't even walk on his own. And he interacts with Jesus, and then he walks away with everything. See, one guy is trusting in his stuff for security, and the other one has got nothing, and so all he has to do is, all he has is his trust in Jesus. Okay, that's just, by the way, that's just a reminder real quick of how we need to be in our life, and really kind of the level where we need to be when it comes to our trust in, in you know, in everything that we have, or really our trust in Jesus instead of all the stuff that we got. And so later that day, 
Jesus, he's in Jericho for the full day. He's already healed this guy. There's probably a buzz around the city. Um, there's so much buzz that um, just a few hours later, there's this little short guy. He happens to be a tax collector. He climbs up a sycamore tree, starts looking around. He's trying to see Jesus, just trying to see him. Remember that guy? We talked about him a few weeks ago. Uh, his name's Zacchaeus. Um, Jesus tells Zacchaeus, he says, hey, why don't you come down? I'm actually going to spend the afternoon at your house today. And uh, Jesus, Zacchaeus is like so honored. And he, Jesus spends the afternoon with him. Remember all the people that are part of the crowd? They're all grumbling and complaining because of this. Because they're like, oh, he's a tax collector. He's a traitor. Like Jesus doesn't know how bad this guy is. Remember Jesus' response? We talked about this about a month ago. Is that Jesus is like, hey, I didn't come for, you know, to, to help the righteous people, the people that think they're so good, all right, I came to save the lost, all right, I came to save those who are messed up, guys like Zacchaeus. And so um, he spends the afternoon at Zacchaeus' house, and then after that, he's walking the streets of Jericho, and the crowds are following him again, and he's teaching, and he's saying stuff, and he tells them a story it's actually something that we call a parable. It's a story that's not necessarily true. Uh, it's a story that he uses to teach, okay? So we're all on the same page here. This is what we're going to dive in today. Does that make sense? Okay. All right. Let's start this. Um, it says, he went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem, about 18 miles away, and they thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear right away. Now, this is important. It, Jesus, or really Luke, he tells us right up front, he says, hey, this is why... Jesus tells, um, tells the story. This is, this is his whole deal. Um, the disciples, they know, and the crowd, you know, there's probably a crowd with them. They know that they're heading towards Jerusalem. They get it. Okay, they know that's going to happen. But remember, these people have been waiting for the Messiah for hundreds and hundreds of years. They think that Jesus is going to get to Jerusalem and in Jerusalem be crowned as king of Israel. After all, he is the Messiah, and the Old Testament tells um, the Jewish people and tells us that, yeah, the Messiah, the Savior, will be crowned king someday. And what these people don't understand is that Jesus has to take care of this thing called sin first, which is actually really good for us, that he takes care of that. See, there's more important things for Jesus to, to deal with than helping Israel regain their independence, you know, at that time. And so these disciples, his own disciples, these are people who have been with Jesus for like three years at this point. They just didn't get it. They couldn't see past it that Jesus is actually going to come twice, once to save us from our sin, which is exactly what he did. And someday he will come back and he will reign as king in Israel again. That's going to happen someday in the future. It has not happened yet. And so uh, the disciples are probably super excited because they're pumped to go to Jerusalem because they're like, dude, let's get this kingdom started. All right, let's, let's break away from Rome. Rome's in a, you know, is, Rome owns them and they're oppressive and they're foreign and they did some not so nice things to Israel um, by far. And uh, they are excited to get to Jerusalem even though Jesus has told them over and over and over again that he's going to die. I mean, on this whole road to Jerusalem, on the whole way, he keeps saying, he says, hey, I'm going to die. Hey, by the way, minor note, I'm going to die, okay? Hey, we're going to get there. I'm going to be killed. Hey, we're going to get there. Um, it's not going to be good. I'm going to die. He says this over and over and over again. In fact, last week, we talked about um, at one point where Jesus says this to them. It's actually right after he talks to um, that, uh, that rich uh, young, young kid. Remember, this is what he says. He pulls the disciples away. And uh, he says, hey, see, this is what we're going. He's saying, hey, this is the plan, right? I know I've told you this like 20 times, but you still don't get it. Uh, here's the plan. 
He says, see, we're going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written through the prophets, meaning the Old Testament, about the Son of Man, that's Jesus, will be accomplished. He says, for he, and he's talking about himself, so he says, for I will be handed over to the Gentiles, and I will be mocked and insulted and spit on, and after they flog me, they will kill me, and I will rise again on the third day. But remember the disciples' response? They're like, huh? What'd you say? They understood none of these things. Like, they don't understand what Jesus is talking about. Here's Jesus, and he's like, hey, I'm going to be killed. And the disciples are like, ah, we know what you mean. Yeah, you're going to kill it as king, you know. They're like, they, they don't get what Jesus is saying. They're excited about what, you know, about Jesus becoming king, and they just keep missing it because they're so ready for Jesus to become the king of Israel to save them politically. And so Jesus tells them this story. Because they think that. Does that make sense? This is why, okay, this is the context why Jesus even tells the story. It's nice that he tells us straight up, right up front. He says, here's the story. Let me tell you guys the story. He says, a nobleman, all right, traveled to a far country to receive for himself authority to be king and then to return. Okay, so that's what's going on. He says, so he called 10 of his servants and he gave them 10 minas. Now, a mina is, was a form of money back then. Um, think of it as it, it'd be roughly today worth around $20,000. So it's not like a little bit amount of money, but it's not a lot amount of money. Uh, it's just, you know, it's, he's saying, hey, here's uh, $20,000 for you to go out and do business with. That's what he tells him to do. He says, engage in business. Literally, this could be translated, go make a profit with this money until I come back. All right, so this is his plan. This is what the nobleman tells the servants. He's saying, hey, go make a profit. And so the nobleman leaves. Uh, he's crowned king in a distant country. And then Jesus throws him a curveball in this story, which he seemed to often, often do. This is what Jesus says. But his subjects, when he gets to that far off country, they hate him. They hate this guy as king. And so they sent a delegation after him saying, hey, we don't want this man to rule over us. Just kind of an odd twist. And what you got to understand, to us, you know, we read this, we're like, what does, I don't know what's going on here. Like, what does this, this mean? But um, it's so interesting that Jesus says this because it ties into what was going on politically back then. So let me give you a little history. I know some of you guys, you like history, and so you're like, ooh, yay. All right, the rest of you guys, you know, sorry. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. But um, here we go. This is, what, uh, this is what was going on in that culture at that time. Um, Rome owned everybody, basically, okay? And Rome wasn't always nice. It wasn't, uh, you know, it, they, yeah, were, they did some bad stuff all over the place. But um, in Rome, uh, Rome would set up kings for their provinces. So Rome had the whole empire separated into provinces, kind of how we view states. And uh, Rome would set up kings in the provinces to govern. And so if you wanted to be a king um, or for us, picture like mayor or governor, okay, that was a king back then. If you wanted to be a king, you had to travel to Rome, and Caesar, who was ultimately in charge, would crown whoever he wanted as king. So he would crown you as king. Well, in history, just a few years before Jesus is uh, giving this story, there's this man named Herod the Great, who is king. You ever heard of him before? Okay, he's in the Bible. Um, Herod the Great was, was king in charge of this province that Jerusalem is in. And uh, Herod the Great's the guy when, that when Jesus was born, if you remember the Christmas story, um, 
he was the, the king during that time who tried to have Jesus killed and telling the wise men, hey, tell me where, when you find him so I can go worship him, but really he just wants to kill him. And then later he, he massacres like every two-year-old boy and under who lived in Bethlehem. Remember that? Right? The not-so-nice part of the Christmas story that we don't talk about much. So um, that's what uh, makes you feel warm and fuzzy inside, doesn't it? Um, unfortunately, that's, but it's, it's true um, that that happened. So... Herod the Great, that's Herod. Uh, Herod, just a few years before Jesus is telling the story, Herod dies. And his son takes over as um, governing this, this land. And his son's name Arche- is Archelaus, and he takes over governing, but he's not yet the king of this province. And so the Jewish people, they hated this guy. They hated, they didn't like Herod. They don't like Archelaus, his son. Um, at one point during a Jewish festival, and it's actually a very interesting story, but I don't have time to go into all of it. But at one point at a Jewish festival, um, Archelaus sent in a Roman legion who went into Jerusalem and massacred 3,000 people. Okay, so there's probably a pretty good reason why the Jewish people did not appreciate this guy or like this guy at all. So when it came out um, that Archelaus was going to be crowned king of this province, of this region in Rome, uh, the Jewish people sent thousands uh, to Rome to um, basically ask Caesar and protest, ask Caesar not to crown Archelaus as king. All right, does that sound familiar, by the way, to anything that we do politically here? Right, it's like the same thing, right? Something happens politically that we don't like, so what do we do? We all protest. Like, that's the cool thing to do. You go out in the streets and you tell, you know, everybody that, I don't like that, you know. And so that's what the Jewish people did. And so in this case, Caesar saw that and heard their request to not have Archelaus as king, and uh, he didn't listen to him, so he crowned him king. Anyway, um, so for us, this might be kind of weird, and we're like, what is going on with this story? But to the crowd and the disciples, as Jesus is telling this, or giving them this curse, what Jesus is actually doing is he's connecting it to a real thing that's happening during their time. And they all know it. And they all totally understand. And so Jesus goes on in the story. So he says, at his return, so he's given out this money, $20,000 to 10 servants, and he goes, the people don't like him. They send a delegation, all right, just like what happened in that time period. And uh, they don't want Jesus, or they don't want that king is king. But he gets crowned king anyway. At his return, so he goes back home, having received the authority to be king, so this dude's king, okay, he's king. He summoned those servants that he had given to the money to so that he could find out how much that they had made in business. It says, the first came forward and he said, hey, master, all right, your mina has earned 10 more minas. So this first guy comes and he says, hey, you gave me $20,000, now I'm going to give you $200,000. And uh, he made, you know, he used that 20000 to make more money. And uh, his, the king's response is, he says, hey, well done. He's like, great job, awesome, good to see. You are a good servant, he told him, because you have been faithful in a very small matter. He says, have authority over 10 towns. So here's this servant. He's, um, he's been entrusted with 200, or sorry, he's been entrusted with first with $20,000. And he's done such a good job with that that the, that the master rewards him. And he says, hey, you're doing a really good job. I really appreciate what you did. You're really working hard. All right, that's awesome. I'm going to place you, because he's king now, remember. He's like, I'm going to give you 10 towns, something worth way more than $20,000, all right? It's just, he entrusted him with so much more. 
And so this guy, you know, whatever he did, he worked it, he used it, he invested it somehow, it ends up well for him because he works hard with that money trying to do what his master, what this king wants done. And so that's the first guy. So, so this king calls in the second guy, who, by the way, doesn't do as well. He says the second came in. And he said, hey, master, your mina has made five minas. So here, you gave me these $20,000, and I'll give you $100,000 of what I was able to, to use that money to make. And uh, so the master says to him, he says, hey, you will be over five towns. Now, it's interesting here that um, the king here does not seem to be bothered that this servant didn't do as well as the first one. Does that make sense? I mean, he still rewards him, and he rewards him handsomely. He says, hey, all right, I'm going to give you five towns because you've done so well. Um, but he's rewarded in proportion to how good he did. Does that make sense? Okay, we all understand that. We all, we all agree with that. Um, he's rewarded proportionally to how well he used the money. And so in this story, what Jesus is doing is he's actually describing himself as the king. This is the same situation that kind of we're in at this point right now. Um, the disciples, they just don't seem to get. Remember, he's telling the story because the disciples, they think he's going to be king right away. But really, he's saying, hey, actually, yeah, I am going to be king, but I'm going to leave for a while. The disciples don't get it. See, for us, we look back and we're like, well, we know how the story's going to go. We know he's heading to Jerusalem. We know what, what, exactly what's going to happen. We're getting ready to celebrate Easter. That's coming up in a few weeks. And so we get it, but the disciples, they have no clue. See, his point is, and this is probably something they didn't understand at the time as he's telling them the story, but this is probably something that maybe a year later or even months later that they're just like, oh. You ever have that when you remember something, you know, that happened a long time ago? Like, oh, that's what that meant. You know, I think that's probably what happened here to, these, to his disciples. And his point is this. He's saying, hey, while I'm gone, which they didn't get what that meant, um, in this gap between when he, when, this, you know, when he leaves and he returns, he's saying he's expecting his servants to use what he's given them to do his work. Okay, that makes sense. By the way, for us, what is our work that God has told us over and over to do? Like, well, as Christians, um, what are we supposed to be doing? We're supposed to be doing whatever we possibly can to reaching as many people as we possibly can for Jesus. Like that's our job. That's our mission in life. That's why, that's why we're here. And so we're to push people. We're supposed to help people to, and beg people to give their lives to Jesus uh, because it matters. And it's important. And really eternity hangs in the balance. Like it's kind of a big deal. And so it's interesting that that's our job. Okay, that's what Jesus tells us, you know, we should be doing. And here's this story that he's saying, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave but I'm also going to return, and this is what I want you to do in this gap. And for us, it's doing whatever we possibly can to reach as many people as we possibly can for Jesus. See, we're still living in the gap. See, the king, this directly applies to us. That's what's so cool about this parable, because the servants are us. Right? This king, the king is currently away. He hasn't come back, and he could come back at any time. The Bible tells us over and over and over again. And we as his servants are to be living our lives for him. We as his servants are literally supposed to be living our lives making a spiritual profit. That's what he has called us to do. That's what the story is teaching us. And I think for a lot of us, I mean, we got a lot of stuff going on, and we get distracted by so many things in our life, okay, if you're like me. And, um, but I feel like if we, when we truly get it, 
like when we truly understand what's going on, it just changes everything that we do. Like when we truly understand that we are these servants in the story, it changes everything that we do. It changes our outlook on life. Uh, it changes the reasons to why we live, why we do what we do. It just changes everything, knowing that everything that we have all, right, all the stuff that we've been given has actually been given to us by God. All of our abilities that we have have been given to us by God. All of our talents that we have have been given to us by God. All of our resources that we have have been given to us by God. All the time that we have has been given to us by God. All the health that we have has been given to us by God. Everything that we have has been given to us by God. And we are supposed to use to create a spiritual prophet. That's what he, as our king and our master, expects us to to be doing. And I feel like when we truly understand that and get that, everything that we do becomes about fulfilling our mission for him. Because we know that someday he's going to come back. And when he comes back, he's also going to judge. I mean, think about that. Like someday, if you're a Christian, okay, if you've actually given your lives over to Jesus at some point in your life and you remember that moment, you remember that decision, all right, um, someday... Uh, you have to give an account for how you lived your life. Does that kind of freak you out a little bit? Okay, freaks me out a little bit. You know, this week as I'm looking at this, I'm like, dang, maybe I should be doing more, you know, like do a little better. Um, but we will have to give an account for how we lived our life. Uh, and, and for us, it's our eternity is set, okay? Those of us who have actually given our lives over to Jesus, our eternity is set. We get heaven. God will, he, he's already said, he's already adopted us as sons and daughters into his family, which is awesome. But we will still be judged according to what we have done for him. We will still be judged according to what we've done with our resources and our gifts and our talents and our times that he has given us. And then we will be rewarded proportionately. By the way, notice the reward here, ruling over towns. Um, it's a funny thing because I grew up, uh, you know, I grew up in church and kind of my view of heaven would be like, well, we die, we go to heaven and, I don't know, we look at God forever, <laughs> you know, like that's kind of the extent of it. Um, I think we view as heaven as a place that we want to go because the alternative is hell and we don't want to go there. And so we're like, yeah, you know, I guess I'll go to heaven. Uh, but for many of us, we're just not like super excited to get there, right? I mean, can we be honest with each other? We're like, eh, yeah, I don't, yeah. Nobody, okay, all right. Um, for a lot of us, we're just not super excited to get there because we have this image of what heaven will be in our life because it's like, you know, we think of heaven as like, you know, we're going to be sitting on a cloud, dressed in a robe, playing a harp, singing something, you know, and like, that's a long time to do that, you know? Like, you ever think that? Like, what, you ever ask yourself, like, what are we going to be doing that whole time? Forever is a long time, people, okay? What are we going to be doing that whole time? Like, is that it? Or we view heaven as like, well, uh, what are we going to do in heaven? We're going to worship God forever. And so we view heaven as like, you know, a worship service, like church service. And we're like, yeah, I mean, hell or church service forever? Like, um, I don't know for sure. Like, I have to think about that one. I'm not 100% sure. Like, you know, this is kind of how we think. But the Bible tells us that's not at all how heaven's going to be, which is awesome. Um, we will have work to do. Like, we will have stuff to do in heaven. In fact, the Bible tells us that the church, or those of us who have given our lives over uh, to Jesus at some point in our life, um, during this gap, which we are in, between when the master leaves and the master returns, that we actually get to help rule. 
just like these servants. Like, we get to help um, govern and rule, which is awesome. I'm all about that. I can't wait. You know, it's going to be sweet. So um, I'll take some cities. I'll take 10 cities. I'm okay with that. And, uh, and so, but that's actually what we'll get to do. So heaven will be far from boring because our God is not a boring God, and we'll have a bunch of stuff to do, which is good. But unfortunately, many of us will waste our talents, abilities, and resources, and time that's given to them is given to us here during our life. And that's going to, that has the ability to change things in the future. I'm not saying you won't go to heaven. Your eternity is set. But I'm saying it literally changes kind of maybe what you do in heaven. Um, and that's kind of a wake up. That should be like a wake up, wake, wake up call for some of us. Uh, the king here calls in the third servant. He doesn't go through all ten. He goes through three, and this is what he says on this last one. He says, and another came in, and he said, hey, master, here's your mina. I have kept it safe in a cloth. He says, because I was afraid of you, since you are a harsh man, you collect what you didn't deposit, and you reap what you didn't sow. So this guy comes in, this master, or this servant, and he doesn't start off so well. Um, what he's doing is, is he's acting like the money is his. Which is kind of what we do. I mean, here's this guy. He's saying, hey, I know that you were going to take my money. I knew this was going to happen. I knew you were going to do this to me. All right, I knew that you were going to take what you did not plan or take what's not yours. I mean, this guy sounds so whiny. It's the same attitude that many of us have um, when God takes something away from us. Like, you know, we've all had this thought in our minds, especially when it's something that's really near and dear to our hearts. It's like, God... I can't believe you took that. Like, that's so wrong of you to have taken that from me or to have taken that uh, from my life. But sometimes we got to understand, it's like, dude, God gave you that money. That's his money, right? Or God gave you that job or God gave you that health or God gave you that friend or God gave you that family member. That belongs to him. Like, in this story, here's this, here's this servant who's like, I can't believe you're taking my mina away. And, you know, I just, it, it, he's, you know, it, he's acting like it's his. But it's like, dude, that's the king's mina. That's the king's $20,000. He was the one that gave it to you in the first place. That is not yours. See, God can't take anything from you that's yours because nothing is yours. Right? That's What's going on here in this story? It's kind of like with kids. You got kids, all right, parents. Um, if if you've had kids, if you've noticed this, uh, maybe it's just my kids. I don't know. Um, but uh, from a, a young age, the first thing that they start fighting about, as kids and siblings and stuff, it's that's mine. You know, that's mine. No, it's mine. No, it's mine. You know, it's kind of annoying. Um, and uh, sometimes what I have to do as dad is I step in and I say. Actually, this is all mine. The bed you're sleeping in, mine. You know, the, uh, that toy, mine. The car that you ride in, mine. You know, the clothes that you're wearing, it's all mine. Like, you know, sometimes, any of you guys, any of your parents have ever done that? Like, okay, all right, so a few of us. Anyway, but, uh, you know, sometimes you got to step in. I'm like, hey, here's, think about this as a perspective, you know, kids. It's all mine. Legally, it's all mine for the next, like, decade for you. Sorry, it's going to be a while. Um, everything that you own is all I own, you know. That's kind of the same perspective that I feel like we, that I feel like that we need to have with God 100%. Right? Everything that we have is actually God's, and everything that we have has actually been given to us by God, meaning the only reason why we have it is because God has allowed us 
to have it. And so that's an issue that we think the opposite. It's an issue that we think, no, no, this is all mine. And so here's what the servant does. And so check out the king's response. The king says this. He's told him, he says, hey, he says, man, I'm going to condemn you by what you have said, you evil servant. He says, if you knew that I was a harsh man. Now, he's not agreeing with the servant saying, yeah, you're right. I am a harsh man. I'm going to come down on you so hard. It's not what he's doing. He says, if you actually believe that, and if that was true, that I was a harsh man collecting what I didn't deposit and reaping what I didn't sow, and why then didn't you put my money in the bank? And when I returned, I would have collected it with interest. He's like, hey, you could have just sat there on your hands the whole time I was gone. If you just would have made an okay decision and at least just put it in the bank, at least I would have come back with something. He says, so he said to those standing there, he says, this is what we're going to do. Take that mino away from him and give it to the one who has ten minus. But even the people around him, they kind of push back a little bit. They're like, master, he already has ten. Hey, he, doesn't, he doesn't need any more. He already has 10. He already has so much. And so this is what the king says. He says, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. And from the one who does not have, even what he does have, it will be taken away. And so here's this, here's this guy. All right, here's this king. And he's, he's talking to this master, talking to this servant. And he's saying, hey, here's the deal. Either you don't actually know me at all. Or you're a liar. Here's one of the two options. Like if you truly thought that I was a harsh master, it makes even less sense for you to do nothing. Like if you thought I was so harsh and that I was going to come on down, down on you so hard, it seems like that would be more motivation for you to use what I gave you to make a profit. And it's kind of the same thing in our life as Christians. Like if we actually believe that God exists and we actually know that someday, all right, we are going to be judged from what, you know, what, by w what we've done with what we've been given, it seems like that would motivate us to do better. You know, for a lot of us as Christians, like, like it's the opposite. It's like, well, this is mine, you know, at least I'm going to heaven. You know, it's, it's, it, that's an issue for us. And so this guy, he's like, hey, either you're lying to cover up your laziness or you don't actually know me. It's one of the two options. You know, I don't know about you, but I've talked to, you know, a lot of people, especially like friends and stuff who, um, who aren't Christians, okay, have not given their lives over to Jesus and um, once in a while, we'll get on the subject of hell. Maybe you've had these conversations uh, with people. Hopefully you have, honestly, um, in your life. But, um, but sometimes I'll, I'll hear someone say, they'll say something like, hey, um, if God is real and he sends people to hell, then I don't want a relationship with him. Right, then I don't want to be like, I don't, if, God, if God allows people to go to hell, then that's not a God that I want to have a relationship with. And if you think about that statement, like think about that statement real quick. That is so, I don't know how else to say it, it's so dumb. It's saying, hey, if God does send people to hell, I don't like that. And so I'm going to reject him. But then God's going to send you to hell. Okay, like if this is true, then this is my response but think about the income or the outcome of that response. It's like, you know, we have this idea. It's like, oh, I'm going to show him. If he sends people to hell, I'm going to show him. I'm going to make him send me to hell. Who loses in that situation? You ever think about that? All right. It's like, it's, it's messed up. It's like saying, hey, if the law says um, if you, the penalty for speeding is a $200 fine and you don't, and we're like, I don't like that. And so I'm going to speed anyway. But it's like, yeah, but you're also going to have to pay the $200 fine. 
Like that comes with it. Like there's no win for you there. It doesn't even make logical sense to think that way. And so the master's making the same point. He's saying, hey, if you knew that I would ask you about the money, why didn't you do anything with the money? Like why would you try to avoid me when you knew this day was unavoidable? That doesn't make any sense. And so the master basically calls him out and he calls him a liar. And so here we got the good servants. You got this bad servant, and then there's another group of people which maybe you just, maybe you forgot about. Um, it was right at the beginning of the, of the story. And he says, also do this. Bring here these enemies of mine. Remember them? These are the people who sent a delegation saying, hey, we don't want this king ruling over us. All right, we don't like him. Uh, it says, bring them to me who did not want me to rule over them and slaughter them in my presence. I think this is how this story ends is the reason why you don't hear this taught at churches. Okay, hardly ever. Um, but here we are talking about it. This last group. All right, by the way, this is where it ends. Story over. Last thing he says was slaughter them in my presence. And you know what the whole crowd's going. They're just like, who, who's he slaughtering? Is that me? Am I in that? I'm a little confused. What's going on here? Like even the, even the disciples are probably going like, Jesus, why did you? Yeah, probably the wrong way to end that one. Uh, but uh, here Jesus gives us three distinct types of people. Now let me just wrap this up. He gives us good servants. He gives us the bad servants, and then he gives us the people who completely reject him. All three probably are represented in this room today, if we're honest with ourselves. And so let me just go through these three groups real quick. The good servants, this is who we want to be, right? Can we all agree with that? We want to be the good ones. <laughs> this is who we want to be. These are people who understand that they are all, that everything that they have and that everything that they are and everything that they got going on has been given to them by God. Right? Everything is God's. And so these people, they use all their talents, abilities, resources, all their time for God and accomplishing the mission and the, the job that God has given us, which is to do whatever we possibly can to reach as many people as we possibly can for Jesus. And so the question is, what are you doing with what you've been given? All right, if you call yourself a Christian in here and you think you're actually, you've given your lives over, what, what are you doing with what you've been given? A lot or a little, doesn't matter. What are you doing with what you've been given? That's the good servants. That's what we're trying to be right there. Then you got the bad servants. And the bad servant, I'll be honest, I don't know if this person is actually a Christian or not, like really a Christian. Scholars debate this. I don't know if this is just a lazy Christian, which we have those all around us, or if this is a person who thinks they're good and they think they're a Christian, but they're actually not. They actually don't know God at all. And so I don't know, but it doesn't really matter because no matter what, we don't want to be this guy. Okay, we don't want to be that guy. And so Jesus is warning us. He's saying, hey, don't be that guy. You need to use what you had, what, you, what God's given you to reach others or to use it, you know, to make a spiritual, in a sense, profit. And so don't be the bad servant. And then this last group, there are people who reject God. And these are people who openly reject. These are people who will someday, no matter what, we will all stand before God. And God will rightfully administer justice. And the Bible tells us clearly that rejecting God, the penalty for that is separation from God forever. Like think about the thing that we've been running for, for people who reject God, the thing that they've been running towards their entire life, a life without God, someday God's going to say, that's what you get. I'm going to give you exactly what you want. Separation from him for eternity. 
And so the question this morning is, which one are you? Which one are you? A good servant? A bad servant? Just people who reject him automatically? What category do you fall in? And so I just want to, I want you to wrestle with that this week. I want you to think about that. Not only that, but I also want you to keep in the back of your mind knowing that no matter what group you're in, it doesn't really matter. You will, every single one of us, we will all be held accountable for what we do with what we've been given. And that's kind of a scary thought. I don't know about you, that kind of freaks me out a little bit. So we're going to end on that. And again, I'll let you wrestle with that this week. And think about that and remember that. We will all give an account for what we did with what God has given us. Doesn't matter what category we're in with that. But we should all be striving to be the good servant. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this day. And uh, we thank you for giving us this story and really what it means to us because it directly applies to us. I mean, we, those of us who have given our lives to you, God, we are the servants. And so the question is, are we going to be a good servant or are we going to be a bad servant? That seems to matter to you. God, we ask that you would help us to use what you've given us to help reach others in whatever way that might be. And so, God, we thank you for that. We thank you for this church. And we thank you for this group of people that you've given us here. And we thank you for this day. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.